Reader, don't blame me. I was born in the starless night. In the darkness, I saw a shadow and shined a light on it. And now each star in the sky is a word that I placed, each star a pin on the map of my tongue. To name something is to lift its veil, to drag it from the depths of the cloudy water to the surface. To name something is to know it. I never once wrote a single word out of spite. I wrote a path out of the darkness. I'm sorry to everyone my path cut through, but I named every place I ran into. Every poem I've ever written was not made, it was already there. And this is the way the universe was built. Matter is neither destroyed nor created, just transferred. Every word you say to me, I send back, I set free. The further I tunnel through the dark, the more I understand my life's work is not mine. My tongue, the surface of a lake, the lake, my body of work. You look down into the murkiness, wanting to know its depth and see your own face staring back. C'est la nuit. Pluie. Les lumières du cinéma se répartent. La foule sort, se disperse. Reste deux femmes et un parapluie au coin de la rue. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Poetry to Your Ears podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, one we've been really looking forward to talking to since reading her book that she's been gracious enough to send us early, which is fantastic. We really enjoyed reading it. I know you read it about a month ago, Eloise. Yes, when I was traveling. Kimberly Nguyen is a Vietnamese-American poet and the author of I Am Made of War, Flesh and Ghosts in the stalks. She is originally from Omaha, Nebraska, but currently living in New York City. She is a graduate of Vassar College, where she holds a degree in both English and Russian studies. Additionally, she studied abroad at the University of Exeter in the United Kingdom. She is a recipient of the Beatrice Dorr Brown Prize for Excellence in Poetry and a Best of the Net nomination. And she was a finalist for the Kundiman's 2021 Mentorship Lab Fellowship. She is currently an Emergent Voices Fellow in Poetry at PEN America. She aspires to be a full-time poet and eventually wants to hold an advanced degree in poetry. So welcome to the podcast, Kim. Hello. How is that? So can you talk a little, a little bit about that at uh, PEN America? Yeah, so it's actually outdated. I was a Penn America Fellow last year um, in 2021. Wow. Um, they have a program for emerging writers. Um, you apply or you can apply every single year. Um, and then based upon the merit of your writing sample and then a couple of your recommenders, they selected five, I want to say. Yeah, five poets. Um, and then a certain number of like fiction and creative nonfiction fellows. So we are a cohort of about like 15 how long have you, so how long have you been writing poetry for? Um, I've been writing poetry ever since I want to say the sixth grade. Um, before that, I started out in short story writing because that that's what you read as a kid. There's not really a lot of mm. like kids poets out there, and the only thing that's out there that's basically poetry is Dr. Seuss, and that wasn't necessarily <laughs> yeah. what I was interested in. Um, but I think you know around the sixth grade I started reading like Shel Silverstein and then 
like I wanted to kind of try my hand at, at poetry. So obviously the poems that I wrote in the sixth grade were garbage, but that's <laughs> that's where I got started. Yeah, have you reread them recently? They are in because special box. I don't know. I was I was born on the edge of like the digital age, so we we didn't have like Microsoft. Not everybody had Microsoft Word yet. Not everybody had like a computer yet. So they're mm. all in these like little notebooks that are probably somewhere at home, or mm. my dad probably threw them away, not knowing what they are. So I'm I'm afraid to look at them. I I don't want to see them. I hope no one ever finds them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And once do you publish your first poetry collection then? Um, I, I actually published like a mini digital chapbook my freshman year of college. Um, I had taken this class and part of our end of the year portfolio was to kind of compile anything. It could be creative, it could be an essay, just kind of a capstone that summarized our experience of the class. And I had chosen to do this multimedia combination of photography, which is what I was interested in also at the time. Um, and poetry together. Um, so it kind of was my beginning, you know, kind of thinking about visual poetry. Um, yeah, so I, I published a digital thing online. Mm. And what was your BA then? Um, yeah, I got a BA in English and Russian studies at Vassar. The Russian was an accident. It was just coincidental. Yeah, and, and so I should mention that um, you have a book coming out. Uh, your next collection is coming out on October the 18th, is that right? 17th, yeah. 17th, oh. October 17th. And like I said, we've we've been privileged to have um, some early access to it. And we've really enjoyed. Um, what uh, what what factors are most important in your work, do you, do you feel? Um, I think 100% th the most important factor is, is self. Um, even though I'm writing about all of these other different facets of my life, my family, um, familial expectations, kind of this larger cultural context, at the center of it is myself and, and my experience in that. Um, and without my experience, like none of these poems really exist. Um, they're just basically like essays about, you know, large cultural context. But I think this, these poems like make these things very, very real. The, and I noted in um, in one of your kind of introductory uh, poems um, where you kind of say, um, you kind of say, uh, let me begin by washing my hands, which is almost kind of like a disclaimer uh, mm. from the start. Where you, yeah. And in, and in that you say, um, well, I'm, I'm paraphrasing you, but I get the impression that what you're saying is you, you feel like you're more like a conduit for the universe. You know, you're kind of, um, you talk about yourself as atoms and that you you've traveled billions of years to to get here and um that maybe you don't think of yourself so much as writing you think of yourself as uh, like i said being a conduit for the universe to communicate is that a bit too dramatic is that, am, I, am i going a bit too far in saying that um i mean first of all i'm a very dramatic person <laughs> um so like, I mean, you saw the intensity of, of my book description, probably the intensity of the, the poems um, and how dramatic I am in the poems. Um, but the, the impetus for that poem is as I was putting the collection together, I realized that there were a lot of people who are going to be very upset um, by these poems because they don't look very good in some of these poems. I think specifically um, my parents. Um, sorry, mom and dad. Um, 
or other people in my family who are, you know, are tangential to this collection. Um, but I really wanted to make this like bold declaration for myself to say, you know, I'm not writing these things to be spiteful. I'm not writing these things, you know, to hurt anybody. I'm writing these things because, you know, once upon a time, like something happened to me and I'm just relaying it back. So it's almost like, it's almost very like cyclical or circular. Like it's coming, if you like, you are hurt by these poems, then it's coming back to you. It's leaving me and coming back to you. Mm. And so like, I wash my hands of, of this pain or trauma that you'll experience, you know, while reading these poems, like, not my fault. You started it. Yeah. I think it's definitely something that is very hard when you, when you publish and you write poetry and you want to be truthful to yourself. But also, you know, people are going to read it and they're going to recognize themselves. And if it doesn't um, portray an image that's flattering to them, you know, it's it can be hard to receive. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like a maybe a dedication to truth and to say this is your truth mm. and uh, it's it's funny because i remember when you uh when eloise wrote a poem and you know her father read the poem he was you know kind of oh my god are you okay we need yeah. to do something and you know it's not the case that you always feel that intense every moment of your life it's that you uh you know you felt that intense at that moment you felt like mm. it was a deeper truth in your history in your story in your past um, yeah, we don't always feel on the edge. <laughs> yeah, and it's also like dramatizing this this own truth as well, right? Yeah, and yeah. So, and that that kind of um, so that that kind of ties into what we wanted to ask you about, which is you, you do fantastic stuff with layout and form of words in your poetry collection. You really explore and like to play with uh, form of um, layout. And um, f so, for example, something that Eloise really wanted to make sure we asked you about was this concept of a, almost like a single word poem or the title is the poem. And then you almost you have a footnote that kind of elaborates massively upon this single word or couple words. So um, and I'm not, you know, uh, sure how to pronounce, but I believe um, it's uh, con con achua. Oh yeah, Gongchuo, which is uh, Vietnamese for "Have you eaten yet?" Yeah. Mm. So this 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 poem is a phone call from your mum, and I I gather this is something she asks you quite often. Yeah. And then every single time. And then the poem <laughs> is just a single yes, in English. And then the of course the bigger point is that it's elaborated in the footnote and so what the what gave you this idea to present a poem write a poem in this way what's the footnote represent to you yeah so i was really playing a lot with the footnote poem in this collection specifically because i feel like i feel like almost poems are physical manifestations of the interiority of the poet and so as I'm laying things out on the page like I'm thinking of like the actual page a center stage but then all of these footnotes are kind of happening behind the scenes or they're happening in the background and the only thing that's like actually visible or happening on stage is what's not in the footnote so the main text um, but I think what's happening 
backstage or you know under under the covers is, is kind of more important in these poems and you can see you know how much more important and also the fact that they take up way more space than the actual action apparently that's happening on center stage um, and I think this comes to represent different things um, in that particular poem it represents um, kind of this like underneath layer of all these things that you know, I want to say, but I never, I never do, um, and how that takes up way more space than the things that I actually want to say. Um, in the series of, you know, on being Chihai, which is about being an eldest daughter, the footnote space kind of functions as the invisible labor that's happening, you know, as an eldest daughter, um, and how, you know, only the fact that I'm an eldest daughter is happening on, on center stage, but behind the scenes is all of this labor and this pain and this trauma that I, you know, I have to carry. Um, and again, that takes up more space on the page than the actual, like, center stage action. Mm. Would you like to read one of these poems? Um, yeah. Let me find maybe a favorite. Um, I'm going to read On Being Chihai, uh, verse... Um, and the eldest daughter of an eldest daughter of an eldest daughter. See also translator. Between motherland, immigrant, new country. By the transitive property, the tongue, a rubber band stretched thin. The daughter on the phone with the insurance company, ordering the pizza, calling the bank, chasing away the door-to-door -door evangelist, the cable TV salesman, the first grader, sounding out stock market vocabulary, reading my mother the money section of the Sunday paper. What do I send you to school for, she cries at my faltering syllables. Translate is from the Latin root that means to be carried across. I am sent, a dutiful guard to a watchtower, to discover and pass down in reverse a language neither of us has ever known to fortify this family for what I can see coming in the tower distance. The hand strikes me, and I do not pay it forward. The words come to me as weapons, and I disassemble them to build homes from the scrap metal. But now, my life is a barren wasteland of haunted houses that I'll spend the rest of my life trying to put back into words. Mm. So is this about your mother or about yourself? All of the poems are about myself. Um, I think the placement of the footnotes was a little chaotic. Um, I feel like I didn't want to put the footnote in the same space every time, um, but I also just kind of you know, stuck them where they made sense to me. And I feel like in this poem, since we're talking about specifically my relationship to my mother in, you know, in other poems that, that are in this series, I might be talking about things like in a broader context or, um, or just about myself. Um, I just felt like the footnote being at the second generation, which would be my mother mm. was appropriate. Mm. Yeah, it's great. It makes, yeah, it makes sense. It works pretty well. Mm. And then, so that's that's the kind of um, leitmotif that um, plays out. Yeah, how come you decided to put the, the series across the poetry collection, across the book, mm. to spread them out? Yeah, so I feel like 
in general, the the collection moves from kind of a lot of pain to kind of this like redemption arc at the end or maybe not a redemption arc, but the possibility of there being a future without mm-hmm. without, you know, carrying this pain. And so I wanted to disperse this series kind of across the collection so that you're not experiencing all of these poems sequentially or in a row. Um, Because I think that would have been, I think, too intense on the reader. And then by the end, you would have just forgotten that this whole thing happened Mm. if if we just kind of condensed them. Yeah, I think it really gives this sense of like a a cyclical... uh, you know, thought that keeps happening. And as it says in the description, like the past and the present kind of meddle. Do you think this book is different from your previous books? Oh, 100%. Um, I feel like my previous work really, well, my previous work also had different interests. Um, Ghosts in the Stocks, I had an interest kind of in linguistics um, and tracing trauma back to its roots, like through linguistics, um, specifically because Vietnam has been colonized so many times that when you try to trace the etymology of like certain words, you kind of run into this mess where you don't know sometimes specifically like which colonization these like words Mm. came from and so there's kind of that like melding there and so Mm. so that was my primary interest in the previous collection but for this one I was really interested kind of in the relationship between space and time um, because I for me like time couldn't be linear Um, And I think I kind of allude to this, like, in the book description, because for me, if time is linear, then a trauma that happens in the past remains in the past, and then time moves on from it. But the fact that, like, intergenerational trauma continues to persist, my theory was that, like, a trauma in the past is like a nail that snags on the fabric of, like, space and time, and then time continues to wrap itself around that nail. And the process of healing is to actually, you know, unravel um, all of that time um, from that nail, which means healing not only the past, but also the present and then therefore the future. Mm. Uh, do you mind if we read your autopsy of war poem? It's really yeah. struck me as something that kind of is talking about what you're talking about there, which is kind of a, a past trauma that continues. Um, so For this sure. is autopsy of war. Autopsy of war. War, I am trying to run from you. I burn sage trying to banish you, but the smoke curdles at the sight of you. I went to therapy and laid on the operating table. When my therapist opened me up, she saw tobacco stains on all my organs. We rummaged for a part of me you hadn't smoked out. We diffused landmines you had buried and forgotten and all that remained of me was a skeleton. I put my organs in jars on a shelf, and I walk past them every morning. What is grief but a body that cannot be laid to rest, jars on life support? What is grief but the cruelty, dust buries everything I cannot bear to? War, I am because you were. Who am I if you are not? You have beaten all of my utterances into ghost notes, but I can't play songs without them. 
Will I always be a placeholder for silence? Will I always be bones collecting dust? War, to throw the jars away, I must begin to acknowledge their loss. I must perform my own autopsy. I don't want to keep my organs here, but I don't want to let my organs go. What I want is whole organs, undamaged organs. Grief is not the needle sewing my hollow body back up, but each stitch I keep ripping out. War, you are my cause of death, and if I am a ghost of you, then I am my cause of death. Whose fault is that but mine? Whose fault is that but yours? How do you find the images to describe the idea you want to describe? Um, that's a good question. I think that when I'm writing, often these other images come to me first, kind of images that may be cliche or ones that I've used before. Um, but I think when I go back to edit, what I'm really looking for is like fresh language, fresh images, kind of a new way to describe something that's almost undescribable. Um, and so I feel like it's almost like a little dreamscape that's happening. Um, and I allow myself into a headspace where anything is possible. We kind of, you know, drop down the rabbit hole into sort of this Alice in Wonderland like, um, you know, headspace. Um, and allowing myself to kind of take any image that comes to me and, and follow that image to its logical conclusion kind of allows me to, to attach all of these like different images together. If that it's, makes sense. So the what does the the image of organs represent to you in this poem? It's very what, what your your choice of this as a kind of um, metaphor. Yeah. So I mean, at the end of the day, I think we're all kind of these hollow flesh bodies that are filled with organs. And so I think organs are not uh, not only essential to our life, because what are we without without these organs? But they also kind of, because they're so essential, kind of contribute to sort of an identity. Um, and I think in this particular poem, I feel like my identity has kind of been smoked out. I'm not really sure what's in there. Um, it, you know, it feels a little bit damaged. And, and so the process of like hollowing myself out not only is it a loss of, of something that I, I really can't name, but it's also, I think, an opportunity to, to start over and, and build from scratch new organs with new organs. Mm. It's, you know, in, in your poem, you say, um, war, I am because you were. Who, who am I if not? Um, do, you, do you feel that, you know, it's kind of a strange thing to to credit, you know, something which is like, catastrophic for creation you know um do you f do you feel that do you feel that um you exist because of the because of the war's consequences yeah i mean the reality is my parents would not have met actually if not for the war um they were both from very different parts of vietnam my dad was from this farming village in the south of vietnam and my mom was from the, you know a major city um, and they never would have met in, you know, in, in any other context. Mm. Um, 
but they met because they both left Vietnam at the same time and they ended up in the same like refugee detention center um, in either Cambodia or Thailand. They're not sure because they walked or went by boat. So like there was no Google Maps or whatever at the time. Um, but so, yeah, I, I think that like I, I have to credit my existence to to the world like all of these different things happen in order for my parents to meet and then for me to be born um but along with that carries you know the the trauma um and the burden of this catastrophic event like two people who were very traumatized by this event met um and created me and therefore i carry that trauma from the past you um were you born in vietnam or in america no i was born in in america uh, in um Nebraska yeah yeah so at the so at what point did your parents come to come to America they came well my mom came first because basically in the refugee detention center what you do is you apply for you know asylum or you apply to be you know allowed to enter into different countries and my dad wanted to come to the United States, but there was a problem with his paperwork. He never had a birth certificate because um, he was born in this random like farming village. Um, and the United States wouldn't process his application without his, his birth certificate. So my mom was able to come to the United States. She was like adopted by this like family who lived in Nebraska, which is how we ended up there. Um, I don't think my mom, if she, I don't think my parents, if they knew what Nebraska or how, like, sparsely populated Nebraska was, they would, like, actively choose to settle there. Um, and then my dad actually went to Canada um, because they allowed him in, I guess, without his birth certificate. And then my parents kept in touch um, for a period of time, and then when they got married, my dad moved from Canada to Nebraska, and then they, they lived there. They still live there, so... Um, yeah, so... so um that that leads me into a poem that I really liked that you wrote, which is uh, "Longing for Nebraska." Mm, I have a question before about yeah. intergenerational trauma. So, because mm. this is something you explore in your poetry collection, I wanted to know if that's something you explored with your parents too. Like, is it conversations that you had with them, or is it more of a long journey that you had? I think that there were attempts to have these conversations with my parents um, because my ideal was that we all heal together as a family um, and then we're all like one big happy family like a little sitcom um, but that's unfortunately like not what happened and I think that you know confronting people with trauma that they don't want to be confronted with or want to to handle in any way um, or that they think they've gotten over is, is really difficult. Um, it led to a lot of friction. Um, and at times there wasn't, like I didn't even have the language to say like, this is intergenerational trauma. Like, do you see how we're repeating a pattern? Um, Cause I had these conversations, I think in high school where I was kind of feeling this disruption in our family. I was feeling like somehow we were a broken family, but I didn't have words like intergenerational trauma or even trauma because you know I was in high school we didn't we didn't talk about these things and so we would just have these you know very useless conversations that went nowhere because neither of us had the language to to move it anywhere. 
Have they read the collection yet? No, my parents don't read my writing. Um, mm. It's one of, it's a great blessing and a curse because I can really write about whatever I want. <laughs> I mean, how, how much do you identify with being a Nebraska native? Um, I crap on Nebraska a lot, <laughs> um, but the truth is I, I did have a pretty good experience um, being in Nebraska. I was very close with my family um, because I struggled to make friends as a kid. Like I struggled to relate to the other kids, so family was really all that I had, um, and we had a pretty good time. Um, I'm still very close with my siblings. We, we call each other very often. Um, and it was a very nice, quiet place to, to grow up. I think that if I had grown up in a larger metropolitan area, like I might have gotten kind of lost in the crowd. But kind of being in the smaller space allowed me kind of a sort of individualism, I think, um, and space to make my own. Um, I... I miss Nebraska in a way that I think my friends who are from, you know, major metropolitan areas, they don't understand. They're like, how could you miss a state that has absolutely nothing? I think maybe what it gives for like, maybe the a poet, <laughs> what would become later a poet is like, you spend a lot of time in your own mind and imagination, you know? Um, and personally, like I'm, I'm the youngest sister of two, two older sister and I had a lot of time on my own so I would have I was playing with myself and just a lot in my own imagination or like playing with my pets or being outside so I don't know if you relate to that <laughs> um maybe because you had you had younger siblings maybe you were taking care of them more yeah but we we actually have a very big like age gap so it wasn't and the age gap feels so much bigger when you're younger. Like mm. 10 is a big difference from like five um, at that age. Like I think when you're older, like 30 is not that much different from like 25, um, but just developmentally, like, you know, at that time it, it felt like a huge gap. So I often, I think did feel alone and I spent a lot of time, you know, like you said, alone in my own imagination. And I started writing because I, I felt alone um, and the page felt like, like a friend that I could really tell anything to. Um, mm. But I think one of the, the pros of living in a city is that you find community. You don't have to write alone anymore, mm. um, which has its own, you know, it, it also has pros and cons, I think. Is it something that you found in New York? Yeah. Um, we have like all of these different like writer groups in New York, um, organizations that are just dedicated to, to creative writing or creating space for Asian American writers who might have grown up in spaces where they might have been misunderstood or didn't have like that sort of community. So it's been nice finding that community. Um, in the pandemic specifically, when all writers were forced online, um, you know, we started creating many like Twitter communities. So. It's been very pleasant, actually, finding out that I don't always have to write alone. Mm. Yeah. I think we're all looking forward to longing for Nebraska now. Longing for Nebraska. I point across the ocean. I name it. Home. My mother spins me around. That's not your home. My finger falls on a burning field. There. 
that's home. So I must live in a house of ash then. Once I came to school covered in ash and my teacher brushed me off. I am always asked to take the high road that I must build myself and now I'm here alone. I just want to live somewhere where I can be prom queen. I want a home where I can cover myself in glitter. I am trying to teach my mother the word salvageable, like how nothing in this home is salvageable. We've gathered all the pieces we want to save into urns. They just become new vessels for our grief. Forgive me. I left out of spite, not for the place, but for myself. I could not perform miracles. I tried and I tried and the ash remained ash. I prayed and I prayed but could not return to my original state. I am always trying to return everything to its original state. Return ash to itself before the flames. I am tracing lineage back to the sea where the line breaks. My life has transformed beyond the threshold my two hands can carry it back to. Believe me when I say I never leave any place just to leave it. When I say I am trying to return to the ash, to build for these floating remains flesh bodies. But the past denies itself the present. I build a body and get an urn. I am up to my chest in cold porcelain, and I feel it too, my bones, on their way to fire, my skin in the next life in urn, a new vessel. I see my body from a distance, an unceasing transfiguration by the fire. We are changed beyond recognition. Flame, a doorway I have walked through and can't return to. In the frame, I see my body from a distance, a kiln firing up. And it's it's fantastic, and it's a great example of what you can say in poetry. That you know, if you just say straight in in prose or speech, it doesn't do it justice. Doesn't do justice to the uh, the depth and power of emotions that you have. Hmm. I really like the line. I never leave any place just to leave it. When I say I am trying to return to the ash, and then does it go on after? What do you mean by return to the ash? Yeah, so I think the the narrative arc of this of this poem is, is that, you know, Nebraska is this place that's on fire for me and that I left it not because like I hated the place or that I wanted to be spiteful or I hated the people there, but because like I, I was burning, I was on fire and I, I needed to kind of step away from, from that pain. Um, but there's also, I think the pain in the poem of not being able to return, of looking back at the place and realizing that the best decision for me was to leave. Um, the best decision for me was not to be there, but also missing that place, um, you know, missing the things that I grew up around, um, you know, missing my family. And, and so I think the, the poem kind of explores that, that tension. Um, and also these like images of flame and like a kiln firing up. It, it's like kind of this metamorphosis too of, of also because I left, I am changed. And that's part of the reason now why I can't return. It's a, it's a big, um, it's, an, it's an important theme in your work is fire and flame. Uh, what, what does that mean to you? 
um, like for example, the collection is called "Here I Am, Burn Me." Right? Uh, what does what does fire represent to you in your work? Um, I think the fire represents uh, a lot of different things. Specifically, "Here I Am, Burn Me." I'm thinking of like um, martyrdom. Um, one of my one of the I went to Catholic school for like ten years, and a story that always really stuck up stuck out to me are all these people who chose to who were so like enlivened by by their faith that they chose to to die by fire um or there's even like the the phrase like baptism by fire which mm. i can't remember exactly what that means but things like that always, always it, really it, it, it kind of means to be thrown into something right like your first day at work is a really difficult day you start like straight in there thrown right in yeah. yeah. Well, and also fire kind of has this like transitive property that other elements mm. don't really have. Like you can bury something, but you unbury it. It's pretty much the same <laughs> unless it's like decomposed over time. You put something in water, like it just gets wet usually. But you put something in a fire, like it becomes transformed automatically, mm. like whether you like it or not. Um, there's nothing that really goes into a flame that comes out like unscathed. Um, yeah. And like we touched upon before, you know, this idea of... Um that you know like nothing is lost that the these atoms have traveled throughout billions of years from the big bang you talk about this it's um this kind of scientific way of looking at the universe kind of plays a part in your poetry as well right in the way that you're thinking about these things yeah it really allows me to think of my life not as like not as god spiting me like, I think the tendency when we have, like, difficult lives, we go through these difficult situations, you're like, yeah, someone up there really hates me. Um, but rather to think of it as kind of an inevitability. Like, I had I had to leave, lead this difficult life, but I also have, I think, the power to, to change it so that the, the next iteration of, of me doesn't have to to live the same difficult life and and that Mm. for that person is of course how it had to happen when you say here i am burn me is it the reader who burns you who changes you what is it the process of writing i think it's the the reader because like i felt a, a sense of vulnerability when i was writing these poems and when i was putting these poems out um and recognizing that when you write something, it, it kind of takes its own life outside of you. Um, you can intend so much for it to be one thing, um, but your reader's just gonna take it and, and run with it in ways that you might not have anticipated or, or wanted. Um, and I think I really ad- address that in Here I Am, Burn Me, and I, I'm, you know, I'm declaring that like I accept this life that my writing can take outside of me um and i accept the consequences for that wow that's 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 great is it from experience from your previous book where you had feedback that you didn't expect or um yeah i guess um it's it's kind of a little bit of like experience seeing other people's experience and also like my own anxiety Uh, because like i said i knew that after publishing this collection there were a lot of people that were not going to be very happy um i am going to be a little upset if my coworker or my parents coworkers like read my collection and then like go to work and be like hey did you see what your kid wrote about you (laughs) um so and also 
you know, when you take these poems out of context, it just looks like I am writing this like hate collection to my parents, and that's absolutely not true. Um, but I think like a reader could really just run with it and and say like you know, and give textual evidence that I'm just like here crapping on my parents. Um, but I think the collection as a whole attempts to reconcile with them, and without you know, without that context, it mm. it's it's all lost. I felt a lot of tenderness towards your mother, you know, in your relationship. It's a complex relationship, but I definitely felt like there was a lot of love in it. And it's, I don't know, there was a lot of truth in that. Do you think it's going to have an impact in, on your siblings? The the poetry collection? Or yeah. Um, my siblings and I have basically been 100% on each other's side. Um, since since day one, um, my my siblings jokingly also call me their surrogate mother. They send me like a little Mother's Day thing every Mother's Day, um, which is really cute. Um, I think each of my siblings has their own relationship with my parents, um, and it's not my responsibility or my right to kind of interrupt that relationship. I think my youngest sister probably has the best relationship with with our parents because I think that makes sense. They learned over the course of like two children how to be the best parent um, to maybe the third kid. So she has, you know, a nicer relationship. Also, because I wore them out so they don't really fight her on anything anymore. Um, they just let her do what she wants. Um, and my my middle sister has kind of this like needy relationship with my parents. She, um, I think she does need them a little bit more. She does like you know request emotional support a little bit more. And and I was just more independent because I, like in my experience, I didn't get that much like emotional support from my parents. So I think I think all three of us had different parents is what I'm trying to say. Mm. So you you think of yourself as a poet, and. Do you, how is that going in terms of um, uh, a career or being able to make a living from from that? Is that something you aspire to do in the in the longer term? Yeah, I, well, the dream is that I would be able to do poetry full time because I think the work that needs to happen in order to make poems happen is a full time experience. Um, the, the part of writing the poem itself and editing the poem, I think is only about like 20% of actual, you know, writing poetry. But I think like thinking about the poem, thinking about how to, you know, convey these ideas, thinking about the language, you know, that's 80% of the work. And it's really difficult to do that work when you're distracted by other things. Like I work full time uh, currently at, at a job. So during like 40 hours of the week, I'm unable to do that thinking work. Um, and then, you know, at the end of the day, my brain's either burned out or, you know, I run out of energy to even do the writing. So in that way, it's like a little bit difficult. Um, so yeah, full-time poetry is the dream. <laughs> Although the more that I dive into the, the publishing industry and talk to other poets, the more I get a little nervous because I don't think anyone's making money out here. <laughs> like, yeah, it's such just... a different world. It's a different <laughs> skill set, isn't it? How much space did you have in writing this collection? 
um, space as far as and in, in terms of actual time, what like what you say, if you work a full time job, it's difficult to think about like mental writing mental space. mental space. Yeah, I had I had a good I want to say two years. Um, Would you say it took two years to write this collection? It took, I think, three. I started writing this collection in like 2019, um, ish, and then I really started to to write this collection in pandemic. Um, pandemic gave me a lot of time to think about things, um, to think about my life. It gave me time to like go to therapy. Um, working from home just kind of cut out like commute time and other other times where my headspace wouldn't be there for writing poems um and so the bulk of the work was done during pandemic and i, I used to have a routine too where like every day for a set like two hours I, I would try to to do the work um but then i realized that wasn't working for me because my brain doesn't always come up with poems between 10 p.m. and 12 a.m. every single night. It, it kind of is a little bit more chaotic than that. Like, like Alex um, said. <laughs> she kind of writes uh, just when you're inspired. Yeah. Would you say that's the same way? Yeah. yeah. Um, I get these like little bursts, I think, of inspiration, and I'm like dead for a bit, and then I get another little burst. Um, so, how do you, how do you for this write? Collection. How do you write? Do you write uh, longhand? Are you a notebook person or a phone person? <laughs> I I'm a little bit of both. Um, when I when I just want to like think about the language and I'm I'm not ready to lay it out or I'm not ready to commit to a form yet, I think I'm I'm very much a, a pen and paper person, because um, I like the experience of, of writing with a pen and a paper. I think also it forces you to think about things a little bit longer because you have to put it on the page. It's permanent. Um, versus like on a computer you can just like tap delete um, but when I'm already like coming into a poem committed to a specific form or like a, a visual thing that I'm trying to play with I do like to use a computer because it's a lot easier to to lay things out and to see exactly how it's going to look like with typeface mm, yeah that's something I wanted to ask you I feel like your layout is very thought out right and you do a lot this uh three paragraph line um I wanted to ask you how that comes up. What's the thought process behind this? Is it meant to be read in different orders? Um, like I said before, when I was, I like I, I personally believe that, like, poems reflect, or the form of the poem reflects the interiority of the poet. And so when it was coming down to form, I really asked myself, like, what was I feeling in this moment? Um, so for, for certain poems where kind of the language feels like scattered, I think it was because I was feeling a little bit scatterbrained or like the poems was, the poem was coming to me in these little, I, I call them islands of thought. Um, yeah, I... You, I think you see the poems where, like, it's just these lines that are just, like, tabbed for, for almost, like, no reason. Um, but I consider those, like, my little islands of thought. Mm. And then, basically, the, the whole page is kind of like the ocean, and then they all relate to each other within the context of, of that space. Mm. Um, oh, for other poems, I felt like a, a tighter... Um, 
a tighter layout was was more appropriate or kind of stuck to or try to stick to a little bit more traditional forms because for me if the form isn't serving or isn't serving a purpose um, then there's no need for there to be like any sort of fancy form um, yeah so it kind of speaks to you you feel it kind of speaks to you in which way it, it wants to be laid out it's almost like it uh, communicates to you like you don't decide yourself to kind of just arbitrarily place it where you want yeah i mean it does feel that way but um i go back and i look at at these poems and i i make sure that there is a reason why it's laid out that way right. because i think one thing that i've learned through my experience is somebody's always going to question your method um and you can't say just because mm. um you you have to have like a reason so as long as there's like a reason that i can think of for using the particular form i just i leave it mm. you um do you perform your poetry live? No. Uh, is that something you might want to do in the future? Something that is seems terrifying? Something that um, seems like a good idea? I, th I think that it's a different skill set yeah. and one that I, I don't necessarily have. Um, you like the idea of being more published poet being read rather than heard maybe yeah i'm also very introverted um i feel like the worst part for me that i'm you know now that i've had this book is thinking about like the publicity part mm. and the fact that mm. i'm gonna have to like go out and and meet people um, yeah you're doing very, it all though <laughs> like very awkward um and everybody's gonna know because like in when you're like writing a poem everyone's like oh you're so eloquent like you must be so graceful and then like meet me in real life and i'm like no mm. i'm a mess um <laughs> yeah so, where, where are you touring oh um i'm kind of still in the process of, of planning my my tour um because i procrastinated on that <laughs> um but i'm kicking off my tour in my hometown which is really exciting mm. um i'll be touring omaha area high schools actually the week of october 17th which is when the book comes out um wow. so i'll be starting there my so book launch so what, will be what do you do on these tours they're kind of like, it's like a press tour yeah it depends on the audience for high school specifically um i'm really there to talk about my process, um, talk about the career path, because I wish that in high school somebody had kind of mentored me a little bit more, um, rather than me just kind of, you know, screwing around and figuring it out as I as I went. Um, yeah, and really kind of like getting youth interested in poetry, because I think that the way poetry is taught in American high schools is is really kind of a shame. Um, it's kind of taught as this like puzzle that students need to decipher and that they there's only like one right way to decipher the poems um and i really want these high school students to understand that poetry is really the experience it's it's all experience like it doesn't really matter what you know your teacher thinks your neighbor thinks but like how did you experience this poem like what did you feel you know what did this poem attempt to make you feel um, that's, that's really where I want to kind of uplift poetry to, to high school students. Yeah. And, and that, uh, poetry can be something that they can relate to from their own personal experience as well. You know, it doesn't always have to be, 
you know, great romance poetry. It doesn't have to be about war even it can be about uh, everyday experience i think that's the common theme of our podcast is no one liked poetry in school <laughs> kind of yeah um so just to say thank you so much for taking the time to yeah, be on so the show much. and thank you so much for providing us with a copy we're really gonna enjoy this and we're looking forward to getting a physical copy at some at some point um well, where can we get a physical copy in the in the future love to have it in our collection um, I recently started shipping to, to like five other countries, including the UK, um, Australia, Vietnam on my website, but unfortunately the shipping costs are significant. Um, I have not figured out international distribution, so I will get back to you on that. And otherwise we can follow you on Instagram and Twitter, right? What's your yeah. username? It's Kwin Poetry. Great, yeah. And you're quite active on there as well. Do you do you engage with your followers on there? I try to, um, because I feel like this is the age of social media. And if you you're a writer, you're trying to be anyone, and you're not on social media, you're kind of falling behind. Mm. Um, it's a blessing and a curse. Great. So good. Good luck to for your tour. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. We wish yeah, you we the best publication. <laughs> yeah. We really enjoy reading it and talking to you. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can uh, follow us on Instagram at poetry to your ears and on Twitter at poetry to the number two your ears. Um, you can listen to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and any other podcasting station. This podcast is published as a newsletter on Substack, substack.com. We also invite you to help us with a paid subscription as it will help us to afford transcripts for the podcast to make it more accessible for deaf and hard of hearing people and anyone who would benefit from reading the podcast alongside hearing it. Thank you for your support and see you next time.